What's up, everybody? This is Gabby. And Katie. And we're back with another episode. Katie, what are we talking about? Yep. So, today's episode, we're going to be talking about how capitalists ended segregation. Um, you guys know me and Gabby. We love going down rabbit holes. And uh, this week, we were thinking of the question... Why Why would the United States government think that integration was an amazing thing? And why is the United States government always bringing up the, the Civil Rights Act? We know that the United States government is a scam. We know that they love scamming people. So why are they obsessed with it? Um, and that, we had decided that we would read uh, some books and do some research. And we started off by reading How Capitalism Underdeveloped Black America by Manning Marable. I definitely recommend that to you guys. We'll make sure to put the link in the description. So in 1865, the 13th Amendment was ratified, essentially ending, quote unquote, or ending, quote unquote, slavery. Uh, this burst the Reconstruction Era. During the Reconstruction era, um, black elite were creating businesses. An example of this would be like a barber shop, essentially, uh, or a shoe business, or uh, a coat business, uh, and things like that. And this was an integral part to later on the Jim Crow era and integration, because majority of these black elite businesses that were popping up. Uh, their clientele was actually white people. So, for instance, if this person had a shoe business, uh, this black elite had a shoe business, the white elite would come to them to buy shoes. So, it was like a essentially a handhold between the white elite and the black elite in this point. Um, but then this, this ends in, I think it was 1877, uh, and it throws us into the Jim Crow era. And the Jim Crow era changes things uh, completely. We know because segregation happens, right? So no longer are uh, the uh, black elite's clients white people. Um, so Gabby, if you want to go ahead, you can add to that. Yeah, so then we have uh, Jim Crow era. And like KT said, uh, these people in the Reconstruction time were able to you know, amass this amount of profit and able to start banks and um, help other people, other black people with money, uh, start businesses. Um, you started to have the political ideology that was, uh, you know, started by Booker T. Washington, that black businesses would be the integral part of ending discrimination. Uh, he said something about, like, let's say you have a, a train uh, business and you do all this great business for the train station, do you think they're going to make you sit in the Jim Crow section of the train after you've helped them make all this money? Um, and so that's really the ideology that was pushed uh, at the time by the elites. Um, it was also uh, taken by Marcus Garvey, of course. And, uh, you know, he thought that that was a way for black uh, liberation. Also, W.E.B. Du Bois, even at that point, thought that, you know, all we need to do is invest and create our own businesses, this, that, and the third. And this is our key to um, liberation. Again, who are these people? This is the bourgeois, petty bourgeoisie class yes. of people that are theorizing about ways in which the, the blacks will be liberated. 
truth of the matter is, there was still a high amount of poverty. Obviously, we're talking about 1900s, 1910s, 1920s. It was an extreme amount of poverty with black people, extreme amount of um, unemployment uh, in the North specifically. Um, And with this, you know, the black businesses really couldn't change the 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 material realities of these people majority of these black businesses only had two employees and uh, like one percent had like 90 employees mm. like it, it really wasn't they really weren't popping like that even if they were paying uh above the minimum wage which i doubt they wouldn't have been able to change the economic situation of black people in America. And so out of this, you still have, though, with the elites, you have organizations, NAACP, all these people that are reinforcing into the black people that this is all we need to do. Yep. That is the overwhelming narrative that is given to the public, but the working class black people were starting to to get organized by the Communist Party, by socialists, or and just by themselves in thinking about what is it that we need. This whole black business thing ain't really hitting like it should. I mean, they were pissed, right? I, yeah, mean, I mean, think about it. Like, if you were during this time, I mean, this is... This is exactly what we see now, and black people are still pissed about it. Poor black people are still pissed about it. Working class people are still pissed about it. Black people are still pissed about it. It's like, you still have these elite, these people who are uh, in a different class than you, who are saying, okay, well, if maybe we just get the leg up, if we just buy this, if we just do that, as, as far as within capitalism itself, then we'll, we'll all be free. We'll be liberating the masses. But we know, we know, and we talk about this all the time, there is no way within capitalism that you can do that. But, yeah, anyway, go ahead. Right, and so, uh, like I said, they were starting to be recruited by the Communist Party, even in Alabama, like there was uh, a lot of recruitment going over there, you know, because they were going to the people and being like, okay, what are your needs? You're unemployed, you want jobs. Right. What else? You want the right to vote. You want to be treated like a regular human being. You don't want to be lynched. While the NAACP was just over there trying to help black folks get loans. You know what I'm saying? So during that time over, you know, after the Great Depression, that's when it really started to get intense. W.E.B. Du Bois is finally like, yeah, this black capitalism thing ain't working because these people are unethical. Right. They're not, they don't care about the community. They just care about their profits. Uh, they ain't paying black people enough to make it out the hood. Like, this ain't finna work. So you started to have a grassroots movement for civil rights in the North and in the South. And really, the people in the North, obviously, they're already, some of them working with black, with white people, but their whole thing is, I want to be, I want to have the same rights as the whites. I'm in these labor unions, or I'm in these jobs, and the labor unions don't care about what I'm talking about. Uh, they don't care if I get hurt. We're getting work to the bone uh, more than the white people, and we're not seeing the same amount of money. Right. In the South, you know, the agriculture system became more technological. Black people didn't have jobs at all. So they're like, we need jobs. We don't care where it is. We need money to be able to provide for ourselves. We also don't want to be lynched. So then you start, you know, of course, having the race riots and having black people just organize in various political parties until you get to what we know as the civil rights of the 40s, 50s, and eventually the 60s. 
So all that history to say that <laughs> it was started by working class people. Working class people get fed up. Yes. And they said, we need change. But obviously, As always. those aren't the people that lead the movement. Nope. Who ended up leaving, leading the movement? The black bourgeoisie, the black petty bourgeoisie, the clergymen, the attorneys, the business owners, the politicians. Those were the ones that was making the moves and deciding where the trajectory of the party would go. Right. So there is a, a quote uh, in the book that we read and that we recommended, How Capitalism Underdevelops Black America. And uh, Manny Marable says, quote, young black women and men, the vanguard of freedom fighters in the student nonviolent coordinating committee uh, rejected integration as a form of white supremacy. So one, once we, the reason why we mention that is because, again, like Gabby just said, it's the black elite that were at the top of it, right? So they knew, these people knew, the people who were in, uh, essentially started this movement knew that it was just about to be co-opted by the liberals. So moving forward here, um, there's an important thing that happens. In 1954, Brown versus Board of Education uh, was a landmark Supreme Court case in which justices ruled unanimously that racial segregation of children in public schools was unconstitutional. Essentially, once that happened, the ball got to rolling. And, and let's think about why that, why that needed to be done. Um, again, in the South, agriculture was not needed no more. Black folks weren't needed for that. What's next? Industrialization. They had to be able to work in those factories. Yep. Remember, we go back to why were public schools created. Public schools were created to institutionalize people and to have them ready for those factory working jobs. Black people were next. They pretty much were saying, okay, it's time for y'all to get y'all education up so y'all can work in these factories with these white folk. Yep. Okay. It wasn't about black people and white people coming together because what happened after this? The white flight. The white folks went to the suburbs anyway and had their own school. But at least with this, the black people would have enough education to work in the factories and make less than the white people. But it opened up a wider workforce for the capitalists to exploit. Okay, that was in the South. And for the North, it pretty much had the same effect. Like it gave the northern black people more education that they, if they make it to high school, would be able to obtain factory jobs. Now, here's the thing about it. After the Civil Rights uh, Act and all that stuff, even after the desegregation of all these workforces, the black people were still at the lower-tier jobs. Yep. And they might select one or two blacks, you know, to be the little spokesperson for everybody. But everybody else still, you at the lower ranks. We see that even now. I mean, the workforce is desegregated. But who's working in the, the top level positions and who's working on the flow? Same thing. So, uh, civil rights movement. Um, obviously, it started from about 1954 to 1968. It really helped kick off after the Emmett Till situation and tensions get high. And from that, uh, the black political bourgeois class was able to take that fervor mm. from 
black people all over, young and old, and directed into this. According to Wikipedia, civil rights movement uh, was a movement um, to end legalized racial discrimination, disenfranchisement, and racial segregation in the United States. Which one of those has anything to do with people's economic situation? Racial discrimination. Okay. I'm not getting discriminated against. I'm still poor. But, I mean, here's the thing, too. With racial discrimination, I mean, that's subject to... That's subjective, right? Because what a white person is going to say is racial discrimination is not going to be what a black person says that is racial discrimination. So, it's like they they created these very vague um, type bills that pushed out to kind of, like, divert people away from what the true... Uh, stand was from the get-go. Yeah. And so, uh, not only that, disenfranchisement. That's voting rights. Right. Again, I can vote. How is that going to change my material condition? Racial segregation. I can go into a movie theater. I'm still poor. So, again, all of this gets co-opted and it becomes just an integrational movement. And, you know, in the book, How Capitalism Undeveloped Black America, integrationism is defined as a bourgeois principle. Because all it's saying is, I want to be able to partake in capitalism mm-hmm. just like the whites. And who is it going to primarily affect the most? People with money. It's the bourgeois saying, I want to get an education at this prestigious white university so that I may partake in the 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 thrills of whiteness, be around white people, get that white money, and uh, act like the white folk, pretty much. And so, that's what happened. After the civil rights era, where were we at? 1970s, all of the major, quote-unquote, achievements... In the desegregation of the schools, it didn't even matter no more. No. All of all of the quote unquote advances of the civil rights era, 70s, black people were still poor. Yep. 80s, black people were still poor. Crack epidemic. We're on drugs. 90s, 2000s, we here now. So integration. All it did was allow the black folks to work with the white folks and get paid less. whoop de doo And even, you know, people may say, well, the South didn't want integration. So, therefore, it really wasn't because of money. It just was because of morals. Well, the South was just so ingrained in white supremacy that for the, they didn't even see that it was for their own good. They didn't see the benefit. Until until they really saw it. Mm-hmm. When when agriculture wasn't the main export, it wasn't needed no more, they needed outside investments. And so these northern corporations would come to the south and they'd be like, Wait, y'all get lynchings, y'all get race riots, hold on, it's it's too messy up over here. Yep. We ain't finna invest in this place. So then those southern states had an incentive to just go and say, Okay, let's just go and desegregate. 
let's go on and and just get everything as as peaceful as possible. Let's try to look civilized. Let's try to look clean. Let's try to look educated so we can get that money to come in. And that's what happened. And uh, even according to this article that I uh, read, it said that um, the most famous case in point was Little Rock, Arkansas, where a promising post-war development program came to a standstill when Orville Fabus called out the National Guard to block court-ordered school segregation in 1957. Though the city had attracted eight new plants in 1957, not a single new plant came to Little Rock during those four years. So it became a economic burden to just keep on being racist. Yeah. So they were like, okay, whatever. And even then, again. That's insane. That is absolutely, that is absolutely crazy to me. To think that, uh, oh, you know what, actually, that it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing for us to just go ahead and integrate so that we can just, you know, go ahead and get this money. Like, that's just, I mean, it's not insane, but it's like, it just affirms that capitalism and racism are intertwined in every sense of the words. That's it. Yeah, and, and uh, this article that I read, which was pretty much trying to do some, uh revisionist history and say oh you know uh the civil rights movement wasn't just for the bourgeoisie even they say accommodating the civil rights revolution allowed the region to return to an agenda which support for economic growth has been the highest priority much of the region's continuing economic distinctiveness is traceable to this pro-growth regime Mm. political appealing or not Pursuit of this agenda has succeeded in attracting capital, enterprise, and affluent migrants into the region over an extended period of time. So the South grew. The South grew tremendously when it was going on a decline because it realized we can be racist. But as long as we together with the white folks, I mean, with the black folks, we can make more money. You know what's crazy though? Think about this too. Like I'm, I'm, and I'm going off a uh, off the whim here. But uh, if we think about, it, if we go all the way back past, and we're in the civil civil war, right? Uh, after the civil war, the South was absolutely devastated. Okay, absolutely poor, poverty, death, uh, disease, everything during the civil war and after it. So, in order for them to get to here, even after, um, like, th- this was a way out. This yeah. was the SAS way out. It sure was. And and eventually they saw that. Yeah. But, you know, here's the thing about it. That's the thing you got to think about. Again, when we go back to the episode we did about why the civil rights movement failed. Who were the ones that were doing the lynching? It was the white working class. Why? Because the black workers were a threat to their jobs. Why? Because you could play the black people 20 cents when you had to pay the white person a dollar. Thus, they were the only people at the end of the day that really had the most qualms against uh, segregation because it threatened their jobs, their livelihood, they were racist. But eventually, the the white bourgeoisie in the state, everybody just came to agreement, yeah, we're going to do this because this is what's making us the most money. It's the same rhetoric um, that they use now for all Americans towards Mexican migrants. Yep. Yeah, that it's the same exact rhetoric, and I, that's something too that we need to harp on. 
after all that history, and we guided you guys through Reconstruction all the way up to the Civil Rights era, and even to now, how much has really changed? What has been repeated? And how much of that is repeated in the same exact rhetoric that yeah. we constantly forget? Yeah. How easily is it that they force us to forget what happened? Even even Gabby and I, like, we spent five hours going through this, even after I had previously read how capitalism underdeveloped black America. It's like everything in, in within capitalism within the United States is propagandized to the point where no matter what you do, you'll always forget it. Or, or yeah, because there's so many narratives that are telling you different. They're telling you different, exactly. And I, w- I want to read this last thing, and we can go on our little rants. It's... it's I'm going to link this article. It was a Yale article, this person defending the civil rights era in the bourgeoisie. They said, uh, my conclusion is that the civil rights revolution of the 1960s was indeed an economic as well as political and cultural revolution. In one sense, it is quite correct to say that the revolution did not challenge the basic structure of the system. If the system refers to the pro-growth political regime that has prevailed the past half century, a.k.a. capitalism. But it did offer access to the rewards of that regime to a substantial number of blacks as well as white Southerners. And this is no small matter. Many other countries and regions in this world immersed in racial and religious conflict have not been able to make that kind of collective choice. So they said the quiet part out loud. The civil rights era helped the black elites make more money and it helped the white Southerners. So, really, we all should celebrate it. There you go. That's it. That, that's the story, folks. That's it. <laughs> and uh, I, I all, wanna, of this, all of this... Oh, go ahead. Go no, ahead. Go, go ahead. All this to say that, again, if, if America's telling you anything that's positive, it's a scam. So, yeah, that's pretty much what we wanted to talk about. And... Read that book because it, it really talks about how any movement that's endorsed by uh, the state is going to just be in support of the state. If you see these people coming to you and saying, I want to create a black Wall Street, <laughs> we're going to create a black Wall Street. Wait, we're going to replicate that terrible, horrible institution created by white people uh to exploit the the working class and and the people all over the world why why would i do that so pretty much that's what we're saying like look at the history these black elites will try to push a black nationalism that is rooted in capitalism it is always self-sufficient like i said w.e.b the boys was caught up in the okadoke but eventually he saw the truth of it we cannot fall for these things anymore we need an organic grassroots uprising built and maintained by working class people. I don't need to see no corporation. I don't boots. need to see no money. I don't need to see no right. rents that we're helping each other pay. You I don't know? need to see no politicians at no. your event. Because as soon as I see a politician, I know you ain't about nothing. Because nothing. that's just historically how it goes. But yeah, anything you want to say, Katie? The only thing I want to say is that um, before we had started the entirety of the researching, 
I had gave Gabby um, like a synopsis or a theory of what I thought happened. And um, I was right. Like it just, it was, I just want to say it was, I was right because oh it was my interesting. Gosh. Anyway. I'm just saying it. I was right because it's like, if I truly, t- I'm saying that because if I take and if we look at history constantly over and over and over, it just repeats itself, right? So there's no guessing. You don't even have to pretend to know what you're talking about. It's the it's the same thing always. Yeah. So yeah, we just wanted to give y'all a little history episode. You know, we kind of got deep in the information, but we will definitely put the links in the description of what we found. I do want us to do an episode 100% on the black. Uh, working class and mm-hmm. the socialist communist organizations and why that didn't last for a long time. Um, and also, we're going to definitely give y'all the why capitalism ended slavery episode very soon. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. Also, thank you everybody that helped and donated to uh, the community fridge yes. uh, last week. Uh, y'all are just off the chain and we thank you and the community thanks you for your generosity if you would like to give the link will be in the description also you can hit us up on our social media at building our PWR hit KT up at KT underscore does art hit me up at Gab Beats Music this has been Gabby and KT and this is building our power